The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. back to open the voice gate for october 19th 2021 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find us on the voices of wrestling feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate if you would like to donate to the show click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site you click the sponsor this podcast box and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation no obligations whatsoever but we like to thank all our previous donors. Also, that Red Circle page, if you're looking for the Open the Voice Gate dedicated RSS feed, it is on that Red Circle page as well. I was fooling around with, with that kind of stuff today, and I discovered that. But anyways, I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Join alongside my co-host and friend, Case Slow. In case, we were hoping to get a result in Kobe Samba Hall this weekend, and boy, did we get that result. But first off, how are you doing tonight, man? Mike Spears, hello. Good to talk to you again. I am doing all right, all things considered. When I check in with my internal clock, things are going pretty well this week, so I can't really complain about that. And I have been buzzing, buzzing all day about talking about this Dragon Gate uh, extravaganza. There's so much to talk about today. Dragon Gate and Osaka Pro. So I, I am really in a very good mood right now. You know, for first-time listeners, Osaka Pro, we kind of view as in the same family as Dragon Gate. Like, it's all part of the Lucharest tree, just the branches split at a different direction. And there's a lot of Dragon Gate and Osaka Pro kind of continuity, so it's worth us getting into that. But this week, we have the huge Brave Gate match that happened this Sunday, SB Kento versus Funky Jackie Kamei for one last time before he changed his name. We'll, we'll talk about the rest of the uh, double shot in Kobe Sambo Hall. We'll preview this weekend's double header in Across Fukuoka. And we'll touch on Sora Fujikawa's departure from the company. It seems like maybe from wrestling as well. But case the uh, on the marquee, they went into Kobe Sambo Hall. They went to this weekend deciding we're going to have a 
Main event on night two, SB Kento versus the winner of the number one contender's Royal Sambo on the first night. It was my main man. It was Turtle Coon. It was Funky Jackie Kamei pulling off the biggest win of his career to date and then going in the next night against his generational peer, the guy who he debuted with on the same night almost two years ago, SB Kento. And just like my off-the-top thoughts, this was the Kamei uh, coming out party. This was really something where like we've readjusted our expectations with SB Kento as we've seen his meteoric rise case. But I think after we're done talking about this match, we might want to talk about what do we see the future for now, Jackie Funky Kamei. Yeah, this is as successful of a double shot weekend and elevating one single wrestler that I, that I know of. I mean, I was trying to think earlier today if there was ever an ROH double shot during the Gabe era where somebody went from, uh, well, we'll say mid card to main event. Now that's not exactly the uh, the exact case here for Funky Jackie Kamei, but someone that went from a guy on the roster to a made guy in some capacity, and I I, I really don't know outside of I mean I guess you could say Morishima maybe with the way Steen and Generico finally landed in the promotion when they finally stuck the landing there which uh would have been the uh, fifth year festival show in Philly when they wrestled the Briscoes uh, in that great match. And then from there, they were booked pretty much throughout until they were signed by the WWE. I mean, there has been some really successful weekends where guys have gone from one spot to another in their career. I'm sure other promotions have done it as well, but this is such a massive success story for Dragon Gate booking, for Kamei, for the Brave Gate scene, for SB Kento. Mike, we once again have to adjust our expectations for SB Kento. And we will get to that because there's literally so much that both of us have to say about this Brave Gate match. But big picture thoughts on the weekend as a whole. These were two incredibly enjoyable Kobe Sambo Hall shows. Uh, Mike and I have had our battles with this venue in the past. There are times where these shows are dire. There are times where these shows are lifeless. I thought both of these shows, in particular night two, but I even enjoyed night one all the way through. But both of these shows are worth sitting down and watching and consuming as if they were of a Cork and Hall importance or an Osaka number two importance level. These are important shows. If you're following this promotion to any capacity, you really need to do yourself a favor and sit down and watch the big stuff from these shows. This was a slam dunk weekend for the promotion. And, you know, I, I mean, we, you know, at the beginning of the year when Dragon Gate was running a lot of double shots, we were constantly talking about, okay, who won the weekend? Who impressed us most? This is uh, 1,000% Kamei's weekend. He won this. Uh, my God, what a performance from him. Yeah, and it's something where they've been very kind of specific, on, uh, like touching on the uh, recent history in Kobo Sambo Hall. I kind of had a something snap into my head while I was watching these shows, okay, so that I wanted to throw past you. Uh, with the closure of Hakata Star Lanes in 2019, their final match in the promotion or in the building for the promotion was packed defending the dream gate against KZ. They had to readjust what their monthly loop was because for a long time, it was okay. Cork and hall. That's our Tokyo show. That's a big show. Hakata star lanes. That's we treat Hakata star lanes. Like it's a big venue for us. It constantly had, st had championship matches throughout the years. And it was something that I would comfortably say probably number two. There are a lot of like, historic Dragon Gate matches that happened at Hakata Starlings 
it shut down in 2019. And along the same time, I we started noticing, or Case maybe started noticing, I wasn't bugging him late at night more and more about this. But Kobe Sambo Hall, which was the which is the hometown of Dragon Gate for new listeners, Kobe, they are a Kobe Hyogo Prefecture Company. This is their hometown. This is why they always will run a Kobe show each month, regardless. Those shows were uh, dry as heck, and then after Hakata Starlings kind of closed up i think that's where like the correlation is it's kind of taken over hakata starling's position as the number two building monthly in the promotion do you think i'm off base in saying that i think that's certainly a factor i i think sambo is really more of an overall gauge of how healthy this promotion is because the the times where we really struggled in this building, the times where because we weren't recording weekly just because my schedule didn't allow it, where I was not watching these cards start to finish, quite frankly. I would pop in after intermission, see what I need to see, and, and move on. Now, at this point, I'm on track to watch 100% of what makes tape this year. Uh, last year, I watched 99% of what made tape because we're weekly now, and I, and I not only need to watch these things, but I like watching these things to completion at this point. But... In 2000, late 2016 into 2017, and especially 2018, I think this building showed the lack of depth on this roster because this is the home base. You expect people to show up. You expect to draw well here. But because of the size of the building and because of the way their tour schedule works, I, just from watching this promotion for as long as I have, I, I get the impression that Drengate doesn't love to give away important matches in this building, it's not like Sambo Hall has a rich history of title matches. So you're relying on matches one through six to carry this card more often than not. And what we saw in 2017 when the promotion was in a in, in a weird spot and Yamato's Dreamgate run wasn't satisfying our needs. And you had rookies that were talented but weren't quite there yet into 2018 with the OWE split was I think you saw the holes in this roster finally being exposed, this promotion that, uh, you know, people talk all the time about how, you know, a guy can go from being in a Dreamgate match one night to the opening six-man tag on the next night, and it's not a demotion. It's just the way the booking of this promotion works. And I feel like we saw that system be exposed. We had just dire, dire, dreadful undercard matches. And then main event matches in this building that weren't, necessarily as heated as they could have been because it didn't seem like those guys were as over as they were now so to a degree i think this has taken the place of hakata star Lanes because you're right this is a title match uh, we've certainly seen an elevation of importance in this building throughout the past year and a half really since the back half of the generational feud i think these kobe shows have been really entertaining now Hakata's irreplaceable. And it's funny you mentioned this. I didn't know you were going to talk about this, but I, I was talking to somebody about this over the weekend, where if you look at the importance of that Hakata, you know, building in Fukuoka, they were getting yearly Dreamgate matches. And that's certainly something that's not happening at the current Fukuoka building. And that's something that's not happening here. But I do think it's the closest Dreamgate has come to replacing that non-Tokyo non-Osaka stop on their schedule in terms of a building that they can give an important match to and it doesn't feel like it's going to waste there. 
Yeah, and it's something that they've really have shown over the past few months, especially with SB Kento, like the willingness to have him main event these buildings as Brave Gate champion or fighting for the Brave Gate. And it kind of opens up the uh, playbook a little bit more because you're able to do stuff like, okay, we have two knights here. Let's do a battle royal the first night and then have a the winner of the battle royal face SB Kento the second night. So if anything, like the fact that like the attendance was this good and attendance was very strong for both these nights tells you that their effort in making Sambo show matters and the fact that SB Kento has slowly but surely within the first few years of his career become a reliable draw in this company in a way that like as we're talking about re reimagining uh, expectations like this it's something that i mean the fact that usually with like dragon gate they would do like a two like a two night tournament here they would do like some brand they'd have a sponsor come in they'd do a trios tournament and they would just have a tournament for the sake of having a tournament as a draw here but doing this here provides a lot more life and it's something that after uh the ishida and okuda brave gate runs it's showing something completely different with this title something that uh, they would have random brave gate shots on other shows but nothing like as reliable as i mean the fact the fact of the matter is sb kento has not defended this belt in tokyo cork and hall or has not defended it at a big five uh show and it's something that they're now showing like hey we could use this belt now to and this guy to main event these shows whereas in the past they weren't able to do so it's such a fascinating title run, and I alluded to this a few weeks ago, but it, it really hit home after this weekend, given the fact that the entire weekend was built around the Open the Brave Gate Championship. It was way more emphasized than Yamato versus Hulk, any of the, the, you know, even like KZ returned on these shows, and that was like the fourth or fifth most important thing that happened. And that is someone who headlined Kobe World this year. And no disrespect to KZ, but he felt like an afterthought because these shows were built entirely around the Open the Brave Gate Championship. And although Japan is healing and it looks like they're going to be able to figure their stuff out by the end of the year, it is such a bummer that any part of this run, any part of this title reign has happened in limited capacity settings because while it's not quite the apples to apples comparison, it's not quite the IWGP heavyweight championship and the IWGP intercontinental championship. This is the most important. The brave gate title has felt in years. I, I mean, I guess since the Dragon Kid versus Hs stuff, because that headlined a lot of shows, I personally was not into any of that. That had borderline go-away heat with me. So I have to go back to 2015. I have to go back to the Tozawa Bravegate run, where this title really felt like a 1B to the Dreamgate's 1A, and not just a secondary title. And to, and to your point, SB Kento headlined Nagoya. He headlined Osaka and now he's headlined Kobe, and, and we know how important Osaka and Kobe are just on the surface of this promotion. Nagoya, a very important town, a lot of wrestlers that have come from there, SB Kento being one of them, and they have one of their big five shows of the year in Nagoya every year. Those are crucial towns that SB Kento is now carrying on his back with this Bravegate run, and he's 21 years old. It, it is a remarkable run, and ultimately uh, what will likely just be a footnote in his career. The, the really sickening thing that, that got me about this, when you talk about like the age about this, is so these two guys, uh, Kamei and Kento, debuted in the same 
on the same match on the same show at the tail end of 2019. And they're doing this both under the age of 22. They are both doing this having had very few matches in front of live audiences or, you know, y'all get what I'm saying. But it's just like just the gumption of doing this and taking someone like Funky Jackie Kamei, who was the young lost post of natural vibes. That was a natural position for him, especially considering he had the shoulder issues and where his position is. It's a lot more of a natural kind of Dragon Gate progression in comparison to SB Kento, who they just poured a uh, rocket fuel on and they try to see how high he's going to fly. So the fact that they did this for Kamei, who it's worth noting, at least in my impression case, he was the most over person on both of these shows. Like I, I it was something that I was like constantly noting was like, Oh, Kamei is, Getting a response where like the undercards it wasn't like it was unheated and especially for the uh, Yamato and Hulk stuff they did enough stuff really there to kind of add a little bit of spice to it but I mean Kamei was made in a way that like you have people in this company on these shows who've been wrestling for close to 30 years and he is the most over person here and and it's against someone that just is his uh, classmate and it's it's sickening in a way <laughs> I talked to someone that was in the building for both of these shows. They attended both nights in Kobe, and they said that the Battle Royal on the first night and the Braviate title match on the second night, those are the hottest crowds uh, this person has been involved with since the start of COVID. Uh, they, they noted that actually the Battle Royal was had more vocal calls than the Bravegate match, with the funny anecdote being that he felt like people were more respectful for the title match. They didn't want to necessarily ruin that by breaking COVID protocol. The Battle Royal, they, <laughs> they went a little loose for uh, but yeah, th- this is the this is the most heated stuff we've had in almost two years in this building, and it's done by people of this age. Uh, you've always been the Kamei guy on this show. You know, they they debuted together at the end of 2019. I immediately latched onto then Kento Kabune, now SB Kento. I said this guy is going to be a uh, f- future star. Doesn't suffice. That is that is not a grandiose enough term for the future that I think he's going to have. You have always lashed on to Kamei. My take on him has always been he will one day be a phenomenal Open the Brave Gate champion. He's someone that is very presentable, very charismatic, fits the Dragon Gate image, and his peak is the Open the Brave Gate championship. My opinions on that have not changed. I think we saw the best version of him this weekend, and I hope that we get to see more of this Kamei in the future. Have your opinions on his ceiling changed at all after this Brave Gate match? Well, I had pretty similar expectations as you. Uh, mine have completely changed. So, I and it was something that struck me after the match when he was basically for fifty minutes he was doing the bulk of a talking in a go home segment where he was making jokes about like they got my name wrong in the theme, but I'm nice and I'm a young guy, so I can't be presumptive of pop star. So I'm gonna change my name to that, and it was cracking everyone up. And it was something I was like, all right. Kamei, you've got the charisma to make this work. And the person he was most responding to was KZ. And I think, I don't think that he's going to be like 2021 KZ in a way, but I could see him stringing together like enough wins because he has the underdog that really, like, that was the thing that took me back on this match was how powerful his selling was in this match and how well he had the command of the audience with that. I could see him being a one-off Dreamgate challenger at this point. 
Like, I think that you build him up in the right way and you let him, like, I mean, that's going to be the interesting thing as everything is opening up, does not appear to be another state of emergency in Japan. And we'll see things like lack. It's going to be a month by month thing. I've done some research into it. Uh, probably by the end of this year, it will be, I would say, mostly normal or what we'd expect pre-COVID new normal. And I think we would be able to see January, really, things get to how people would expect but with like a crowd that's fully behind him i think that he's someone that like i don't think he'll be Dreamgate champion but i think he's someone that like you could build up for like a potentially best case universe build up for like a champion gate Dreamgate shot at this point i'm not quite there mainly because i, I can't even justify jason lee in that position and i think lee is is not only literally bigger but I think a little bit more talented than Kamei, and I, I don't even know if I see Lee in that position at any point in his career. So I'm not quite there. So I, 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 can't, I can't begrudge you for that. I, I certainly think Kamei has the talent, but I don't necessarily see him at that, at, at that point there. As for SB Kento, and I've talked about how since his debut, I think he's the second coming of Yamato. I've raved about how he can brawl, he can tell a story, he can chain wrestle. He once again in this Kame match, he did his double leg takedown, which I I don't know why I get so excited for him doing the most basic of amateur wrestling moves, but I really do. This guy can do it all. Jay said on our podcast three months ago, if this guy was three inches taller, he would already be open the Dreamgate champion. That shit sivers that sent shivers down my spine when he said it. And yet I think we once again need to move the goalpost back for SB Kento because this is a man who's 21 years old. He's a full year younger than me. And when it comes to his future in this promotion, after watching him this weekend, I think the adequate way to gauge his success in the future, and Mike, you can tell me if I'm off base, but I think the adequate way to gauge his success going forward is at what point does he join the likes of Eita, Susumu, Doi, and Yoshino as the most decorated wrestlers in Dragon Gate history? Those are guys that have won the Dream Gate, the Brave Gate, the Twin Gate, the Triangle Gate. All of those guys that I listed are also King of Gate and Summer Adventure Tag League winners. Now, SP Kendo's not going to have a chance to win the Summer Adventure Tag League unless things change, but if he can beat Ata, who was 28 years old when he won the Dreamgate belt after he had been Bravegate champion, after numerous reigns as Twingate champion, after a run as Trianglegate champion, that is the new gauge now. Okay, Ata was 28 when he did it. Doi was 28 when he did it. Yoshino was a, a, a week before his 30th birthday when he accomplished it. Susumu is a little bit more complicated because he won the Bravegate belt at 41 years old. But if if you really give him the benefit of the doubt and stretch this back to Toriumon, where he was not only an NWA World Welterweight champion, but also a UWA Trios champion, uh, and then you take his Dreamgate run in 2006 and his Twingate run in 2008, he was 30 years old when he accomplished all of those tasks, those four main titles. This is now how we have to look at SB Kento. Can he win every title in this promotion and possibly King of Gate before the age of 28? And I see no reason as of right now why that isn't a 100% yes, that's what he's going to do. Oh, I think it's, I, I think the over under is age 25. 
I think you're, I, I, he has four years to do this. He's already has Triangle Gate. He has Brave Gate right now. So he just needs Twin, Dream, and King of Gate. 25. Yeah, that's my over-under case. Are you taking the over or the under? I'll take the under. He could win King of Gate next year, and I wouldn't bat an eye. I, I mean, yeah. it is, it, it's a matter of, okay, when is he going to be, his version of downcycling is going to be, okay, when is he downcycled to a point where he can win the Twin Gate uh, uh, titles on a pay-per-view? and then lose them back in Osaka or whatever. And then it's just when when is he going to be Dreamgate champion? Because it is uh, is so obviously a win, not if. And now, you know, we have to look at this from again. Will he do this before the age of 25, which is absurd to think about with anybody else. But with him, it's like, yeah, it's of course it's going to happen. I mean, I'm of course taking the under there. It, it's something that you like look at him. And I mean, we've talked about the checklist case. This was him doing a bully championship match, whereas the whereas the match against like Kagatora was like, all right, this is like him hometown, like pulling it off there. When the the, the match against Keisuke Akuda last month, and uh, actually, yeah, that was last month, and uh, Asaka number two for the vacant title, that was seeing you could plug him in and he could be adaptable. This was him basically, you know, doing a part of my French a king shit basically for like 15 minutes and then uh Kame being able to have the crowd in the palm of his hands and you know charging up firing back and you know just also in a way like showing a chemistry that you would hope for two guys who this is the next BB Hulk versus Shingo Takagi this is a next generational feud and they've made it very clear that that's what's going to be right now but he was able to bully around his peer for 23 minutes and I mean this is the longest match of Takedo Kame's career I'm sorry Jackie Funky Kame it's the longest match of his career and he pulled it off with this and you know you you have to look at the person who's the champion you have to look at someone who's been in these high stakes scenarios already and you give him another check mark gold star sp keno did it yet again i'm glad you made the shingo versus hulk comparison because i wasn't totally confident in that because i you know obviously in that comparison sb kento fits the shingo bill pretty well i i I wasn't quite confident enough to make that by myself but i'm glad you said that because this match really reminded me of the first ever shingo versus hulk singles match which which was king of gate 2005 i think it was december 26th in cork and hall and that was, especially for Hulk, that was really his first single showcase. Shingo, by that point, had already challenged for the Dreamgate belt. He had been in huge six-man tags with, you know, Taka Michinoku and the like. But that was a moment where you went, oh, I-, I knew these guys were good. I didn't know they were this good. I didn't know the Dreamgate Dojo was pumping out talent like this. And over the past 16 years, you know, the guys that have come through this promotion and have gone on to dominate the wrestling world, they speak for themselves. But this was the first time that we've had simply two guys from the class of 2020, as we've dubbed it. You know, they debuted at the end of 2019, but this core class by themselves out there and you go, oh, man, I, I mean, these guys, these guys are better than I thought they were. I had really high expectations for this match. And they completely surpassed them. I did not expect to give the star rating that I gave it coming into this weekend. It was a a better match than I somehow anticipated. And the one other thing that I'll mention from uh, the person that was in the building, I thought they made a really interesting note about how 
ever since Yoshino retired, things have felt pretty tentative in this promotion. You know, nobody's really been sure who's going to step up, where the next big thing is going to come from. And this person said, at least being in the building, it felt like that Brave Gate match was a really big test for the promotion of can we draw with the young guys? Are they talented enough for this position? And they pass with flying colors. And that is the biggest seal of approval you can give. You know, th- these guys, this match, this weekend, this promotion going forward, it it just felt, this match felt like a sigh of relief from everybody involved. Like, oh, okay, we're going to be okay. Things are going to be fine. The future is all right with us. And I mean, that's something that like, Case knows I'm doing this thing. I talked about this a little bit last week. I'm doing like an overall Japan coming out of COVID, just my opinion on like the futures and things happening on the EE Patreon. And like the big question about Dragon Gate is always going to be, are the young guys going to take the baton? And this was a match that before this, I've not recorded this one segment yet on this show. I I was like, this is going to be the big question because you look at the roster and yes, it's the most talented roster, arguably in the world under the age of 30. But then you look at like, okay, who are the people who are really drawing in this company? It's like, oh, a lot of it are the people that have been there for 23 years at this point. And as we've seen of Yoshino retiring, there's been a noticeable issue with drawing. And it's something that like really most felt at Cork and when Dragon Gate was the most consistent company running Cork and Hall for like 16 months of uh, COVID. They were the only ones that were consistently selling it out. And now they're having a little bit of issue selling it out without Yoshino. But you, so you, you'd anticipate that we're going to start seeing more and more people from the original first class, first generation of the Dragon System eventually will like to start taking their steps back. And then you're at, then the question is, is is the young, is the young generation ready? Like we've seen the Trueborn generation, the the former Big Six take the ball when needed, but now we're basically down to Yamato, whatever is left of BB Hulk and Naruki Doi. So we have to look, we have to look onwards, we have to look more forward, and we've already saw that. Uh, that Shun Skywalker did a great job in business-wise as Dreamgate champion. Then you look at who's going to be next up after him, and you see the fact that you know two guys who can't drink in, or one of them might be able to drink in the United States, the other one can't. Were able to draw one of their strongest Kobe Sambo Hall crowds in months, and you have to go like, all right, maybe that's not as much of a worry anymore, or I, I don't think that it's, this could be a DefCon one situation. It, it, it's a big step forward, and. I could, and I had that sigh of relief when watching this match. Like, all right, things are okay. And it's, I, congratulations, Funky Jackie Kamei, you made the notebook finally. It took you almost two years, but you finally have had one, a, a four star plus match in my books. And it was something that I can't be happier. It, it's probably going to be my small show match of the year for Dragon Gate this year. And it just was truly exceptional. Last point I want to make before we break down the match itself, not necessarily move by move, but there's stuff in this match that I really want to talk about. Uh, It's crazy to think that Shun Skywalker is 25 and Ben K is not much older. And they, there's already a generation below them that might not be ready to go and roam free, but you have a certain level of security even with the departure of Sora Fujikawa, which again, we'll talk about a little bit later on in this show. And it is, it is a bummer for me on a personal level, just because I loved him, but also it's a bummer because we're already seeing the fragmentation of that class of 2020. And I, and I said in May of 2020, when Kakuta and when Fujikawa debuted, 
I, I said this is this is one of the best debut matches I've ever seen because you had two guys that were at this point five months into their career against two guys in their very first match. It was that tag match on an empty arena King of Gate show. It was Kabune and Kame against Kakuta and Fujikawa. I, I said not all four of these guys are going to pan out. It's just statistically impossible that these four guys are all going to hit. But if you can get one or best case scenario two to hit some sort of level as a star, then this is an unmitigated success. We've lost Fujikawa. Kakuta's out at least for the rest of the year, from my understanding. And Kamei really stepped up the plate here because SB Kento's there. I haven't had to worry about him pretty much since that match. But everybody else, you know, has fallen by the wayside. They've gotten hurt. They're they're leaving the promotion. Kamei had a real rough start in Natural Vibes. I really wasn't sure what his future was going to look like for the first few months of this year once he returned from his injury because you remember he got taken out as well once he returned i was just like man that that spark is gone what we saw last year is just not there and he shut me up and he proved me wrong and i feel much better about the class of 2020 exiting this weekend than i did coming into it absolutely it's something that you for a while, you can make the argument it was SB Kento and other guys now, you, you know, Funky Jackie Kame, Jackie Funky Kame, as well to start referring to him as, you know, he he's made his claim. Like, for a while, you're absolutely right. Like, he had the soldier injury right as it looked like he was getting put in his first unit. He didn't come back very well. But, I mean, 23 minutes, going 23 minutes with SB Kento and not in a complete beatdown 23 minutes, you know, that that's truly exceptional. Yeah, this was uh, this was a a goddamn professional wrestling match. It, it felt uh, well. I uh, let, let me throw it to this way: Did it feel more universal than your standard Dragon Gate match? Somebody that fair or not mm-hmm. tends to fade this style isn't their thing. Do you think this has a more universal appeal than, say, even you know my Dragon Gate match of the year, which is Skywalker versus Ashita from March? I think that. This is a match that you could drop in a lot of places, and it would be a great match. You know, it, it's a match that it, it's not a Dragon System match fully. I mean, the first time that I think I've ever seen Kame fly was in this match. Like, you think about it, like Kame does like a top rope drop kick, and that's it from flying. You wouldn't think that from a guy who might be five foot three, and then you know, SB Kento is does not wrestle the stereotypical old dragon gate style as well and i mean really i mean this was a match that was really built on i'm not gonna let you to just treat me like i'm a a, a walkover and kamei stance and you know I, there probably wasn't a 23 minute match six minutes of chopping back and forth or thereabout or elbow strikes and and the like there and that's after like a significant portion that kept on going back to where like the first like the story, the first half of the match was basically SP Kento big brothering Funky Jackie Kamei and then spending and then Kamei firing back and then that they were having those tests of strength and then and then randomly uh, Funky Jackie Kamei does a tornado splash to the outside which which I don't even know if the natural vibes guys were ready for that because the reaction that that some of them showed on the outside and you know just kind of from there went into just a solid match like just from start to finish I I would say you could drop this match anywhere. The chop battle was fascinating. That that seems like it's probably the loudest reaction I've heard for, for anything Dragon Gate related outside of 
the unit disbands match from last year, that RED versus Torimon match. This seems I, it's the it's the loudest reactions that I can remember from a crowd that Kobashi versus Sasaki esque chop battle from SB Kento and Jackie Funky Kame, just like we all anticipated these guys. That would be the match they emulate as Kobashi versus Sasaki. Uh, you know, that's that's a callback to their prime zone matches. And uh, I don't know if they ever wrestled on next. I think it was just prime zone where, you know, they would they would chop the shit out of each other. And it was a bit of a callback to that. Uh, I, I thought everybody at ringside was tremendous. This was a match where, in a weird way, I came away from this match impressed with Genki Horiguchi because he was seconding Kamei. And it seemed like every time there was a chance for Horiguchi to add something just by hitting the apron or by making some noise, he was there to do it. He was just as important to this match as anybody else was. And that chop battle really set things in motion for what I thought was a brilliant closing stretch. Kamei adding that Torbellino into the crucifix is only going to benefit him in the future. And he did it in this match and SB Kento immediately countered that pinning attempt and, and, and gave him kind of a flash pin attempt of his own, which Kamei kicked out of, but that spot right there, it felt major league. It felt, you know, obviously Yoshino esque, which in the closing stretch of a title match, that is the type of vibe you want to give off. And then in the end, Kamei fought, and he fought, and he fought, and he just wasn't good enough, and he tapped out to the SB shooter. Mike, I don't know if you noticed on Twitter, but I am so fascinated by the outpouring of support that this match has from other members of the roster. Masaki Mochizuki, who was not on this show, mind you, Mochizuki worked the main event of a Noah show, and then that night was on the Dragon Gate Network watching and tweeting about this match, which I think says more about Masaki Mochizuki than anything else, that this man headlined a Noah show and then went home and caught up on the Dragon Gate show that he wasn't on. He was tweeting his praises for this. Naruki Doi said this was a great match. Kagatora in UT put this over publicly. Super Shisa said this was his match of 2021, his match of the year. That is... To me, you know, this is a, this is a promotion that's obviously a family, and we we know these guys are super tight knit. But I don't remember a time where the promotion has been this forward about putting over a single match like this before. I mean, to me, having guys like Doi and Shisa and Mochizuki tweet about this match is such a giant seal of approval. Well, I think Shisa decided to work this show so he could watch this match you know <laughs> i mean this is a this is a guy who's taking it easy in his later years and popping up on the show it's like oh she's on the show okay that's interesting and he's not like in a, a, a and usually he'd be like in a battle royal and he'd do like two things and get out of there but like he was like in a full-on match and then hearing that he thought this match was like okay that makes sense she so wanted to work the show so he could watch this match and i mean i'm gonna rewatch as soon as they get the uh, full infinity cut or if they put up a director's cut of this match i'm gonna go back and rewatch it like this is going to be a match that it's something that you're gonna have to, that listeners should keep in mind when the like five years down the road where maybe we have a twin gate team with kamei in it and a team with uh kento kabune in it and you see them cross up you see them cross past there or in a just like you're mentioning about shingo takagi and bb hulk like their king of gate match like this is 
this is a building point match. And I think the fact that, of course, Masaki Mochizuki, he, he goes to he goes to the convenience store. He gets himself a, a couple of beers. He gets back and he's like, all right, I'm booting up the network. I got to see what the young kids are up to. And okay, he's the one person that, like, if you told me he didn't watch the match live, I'd be a little disappointed. Like, just confirms my, my suspicions about Masaki Mochizuki being one of the smartest people in wrestling history. I made a list of what I thought were the five most memorable Open the Bravegate Championship matches in history. Now, again, it's skewed. I don't have any of the Dragon Kid versus Ata stuff on here because, again, I wasn't really into that program. But when I think about the Bravegate belt, I think the five matches that define it to me are Yoshino versus Dragon Kid from November 2008, Naoki Tanizaki versus Kagatora from August of 2009, Pac versus Ricochet, November 11th, or I'm sorry, November 19th, 2011. Hard to believe we are coming up on 10 years of that match. Flamita versus Susumu from 2014. Uh, Flamita is still getting booked off of that match. And then KZ versus Tozawa from February 28th, 2015. I would I would have this at number six on my list. I think I think no matter what happens in the future, SB Kento could start doing MMA tomorrow and leave this promotion and be done with wrestling for good Kamei could get hurt tomorrow god willing that doesn't happen and never wrestle again i think no matter what this is one of the most important brave gate matches we've ever seen and it's something that you brought up in this night of synchronicity you brought up that tiny on for skagatora match if that's from hakas Airlines, so like that's why like having this match in this building is so important you know i mean it's something that I think going forward now, people will look at like, oh, there's going to be a Brave Gate shot or, or SP Kendo's going to be in a main event match or, or Jackie Funky Mayo is a main event match. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that match that happened on October 17, 2021. I I don't want to miss this. And I think that that's such a strong point there. Uh, interesting that, list that you did not have any of the Akuta versus Ishida matches from last year. No, because my my take on those was always I I consistently enjoyed that feud i thought pretty much every step along the way was great but i don't know if i went over four stars flat on any of those matches i thought all of their singles matches were great but none stood out as the definitive match of that series i know i know rich from the flagship i think he really loved uh the the gate of destiny one i think he he went five stars on i i know you were a little higher on those I thought they were tremendous matches, but I, in the in the landscape of the Bravegate title, I you know I haven't given my star rating yet, but I think this smoked those matches. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, the moment in the match that I think that I wanted to bring up that really like told that like whatever fears I had and like we were like this is the thing they should have done last week and it happened. So uh, I was pleased about this, but like settling in, this is the part of the match that really like settled in was when. Uh, SP Kento had Kamei and the STF and Kamei like wrenched his body and it just was like such a incredible like example of the STF looking really awesome and it's something that for me I was like oh Kamei has a very good self-awareness and it was able to like to tap in on that and from that from like that moment on this match was like just phenomenal I mean like the counters we saw I mean like you know how 
Kamei was using his uh, version of the acid drop as like a big like near fault thing. The fact that like SB Kento kind of was like, no, I'm not encountered right out of it. And then, you know, the closing stretch, like one thing that's so excited for me as someone that loves watching wrestlers develop is when you put them into a their first ever big match. And this was Kamei's first ever big match. Like what kind of stuff they add to their arsenal and like the Casadora bomb near fall towards the end was sick. And it just was all something that I was like, all right, like my big takeaway other than like the SB Kendo stuff we said and Kamei set forward was Kamei has a awareness of himself as a wrestler that you don't always see out of someone who's under two years in the business. Did you get that opinion at all? Yeah, I was, uh, again, I, you know, I spent so much time talking about SB Kento, but yeah, I was really impressed with, I, I guess, what you could label as just the all-around performance of Kamei in this match. I mean, if you're parachuting into this just because, it, you know, it, it, it got positive praise wherever and you're not really familiar with these guys, I don't think you would know that either of these men are, are two years into the business. I mean, I mean Kamei, and that's always been my thing with him, is I think he's immensely talented. He, he's very good for his experience level, but ultimately, you know, there are times where he wrestles like a guy that is 18 months, two years into his career. And this was him really recalibrating those thoughts. This was him taking a step up and a step that quite honestly, like, like I said, I knew this match was going to be good. I did not expect it to be this good. He took a step up that I did not think he was ready for. And I was super impressed by that. Yeah, no, it's something that, you know, is really remarkable. Uh, just so if people are listening to the show going are going like, hey, I want to check this out, it will be up on the Dragon Gate Network until the 24th. So you still got uh, plenty of time, especially by the time this thing gets up. You, you basically have the rest of the week to watch this match. It is something real special. I, you actually, for once, have me a little bit hesitant about what I have down as my star rating case. Well, I watched this match twice, and Same. I... I gave it a rating the first time around, and then I watched it again this afternoon, and I said, you know what? This match is even better than I thought it was, and we have landed, for me, four and a half stars. You see, I was at four and three-eighths, basically, but yeah, four and a half. Like, I had it down as four and a quarter question mark in my notebook, and then when I rewatched it, I was just like, man, this is better than I thought. And that's why I want to rewatch it with like the full production, right? Like just to see like how well it comes across that way because it just was astounding. This is a match that very rarely is there a match I immediately want to go back and rewatch. This was one of those. It, the only two matches from this promotion this year that I can say were definitely, definitively better were Skywalker versus KZ from Kobe World and Skywalker versus Ishida from Champion Gate. I think this is on the same level as KZ versus Minora from Cork and Hall in June, Skywalker versus Yamato from Speedstar Final, and Skywalker versus Sakamoto from Memorial Gate in Wakayama. So at, at worst, you know, this is a top five, top six match for me and a promotion where, you know, including this match, I, I have 38 matches in Drangate this year at four stars or above. So this is in the upper percentile. This is in a, in a very good year for this promotion. This is one of the best matches. I think I right now it's slot in probably six through ten in my top ten list at this point. You know, I don't keep as I don't keep up as much on my Rex list. I don't have like my rolling top ten going, but I'm I was flipping through my notebook as you were saying this and really outside of like shooting Skywalker tile matches, which I'll admit I was probably more into than a lot of other people, and at least emotionally a Masato Yoshino's retirement match, this is a top ten match and it's gonna be hard for it to be displaced this year to me. Yeah, I, 
if it makes my top 10 at the end of the year, and of course, Noah really threw a wrench in that because Noah's had a few matches lately that I really liked, and I was not not necessarily anticipating on including them in my top 10 ballot this year. Uh, there is, there's some Shingo stuff that's gonna, that's gonna get in there as well. But you know, my, my top 10 list is going to be Dragon Gate and AEW centric. If this makes my top 10, it'll be my number 10, which is always a vanity pick for me. It's typically whatever Dragon Gate match I liked the most that I didn't include uh, in, you know, one through nine, but just one that left an impression on me. So it would not shock me if, if come, Come end of the year, when I'm filling out my blurbs for Voices of Wrestling Match of the Year, that this is going to be my number 10 match and that I will gleefully write about it once again. Yeah, that's probably... It, I don't think there's a match that is as sentimental for me this year, and that's also me being a day one Kamei fan. So, I mean, that's my own personal thing. It, it would probably either be that or Yoshino's retirement match, you know, for because there's not really been necessarily a Mimi match for me to toss at number 10. So, I think this is pretty much lock that in there did you have any other big thoughts about the match before we start talking about other things this week god no i i think i've i think i've exhausted all my thoughts on this it is one of the best matches this year go watch it if you haven't seen it and then i will be anxiously awaiting the november Gate network schedule to see if we get a director's cut of this uh and if we do uh to get it as soon to watch that as soon as possible Absolutely. Well, support for Open the Voice Gate this week comes from HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. In case I know that you're a busy man right now, I'm a busy man right now. Fall can be super hectic, but HelloFresh's recipes save time. You'd otherwise use spent meal prepping, grocery shopping, and shopping, so you could focus on getting back into a new routine and spending quality time with the family. You know, for me, I have to sit through enough University of Miami bad football games this year that being able to go just toss things into a skillet or toss things in the oven, having something ready during halftime makes my life a whole lot easier. Mike, it is cuffing season. And as you know, that means I am back on the dating apps. I am courting women. I am hanging out with ex-girlfriends. Maybe not the most recent one, but there's definitely some exes in the city that I'm seeing. And that means that I need activities for these ladies. And you know me. You know I have a very eclectic taste in women. I like them a little bit more on the alternative side. So I love the fact that HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from, including vegetarian meals and calorie smart choices. I need that when I have, uh, let's say, a woman in my apartment that's not like most girls, someone that the mainstream doesn't really understand. Maybe she walks to the beat of her own drum, and because of that, maybe she's a Morrissey fan, maybe she doesn't eat meat. I need those vegetarian options. The good news is with HelloFresh, there's something for everyone to enjoy with recipes designed and tested tested by professional chefs in the same way that we star rate SB Kento versus funky Jackie Kamei. HelloFresh has professional chefs star rating these meals. And you better believe you're not getting anything sent to your kitchen. That is below four and a half stars, a match of the year contender quality meal with every single HelloFresh meal. That's right. So if you're interested in this, you go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW14 and use VOW14 as your code for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. That is VOW14 at HelloFresh.com slash VOW14 for 14 free meals and free shipping. And 
that is the best way you could support the show. You go there, you sign for 14 meals, and you can use HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. In case that was not all that we had in this double header in Kobe, there was a lot of stuff that kind of, you know, in my opinion, just like off the top, was chalk, you know, wasn't bad, filled the time. Got to see something new, maybe, and then moved along here. But there were some other big moments, I would say, came out of this weekend in Kobe. Would you just want to touch on the big things and we just run down results from here? Let's, uh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. All right. So, I, you mentioned this up top. KZ made his return from his ankle injury on night one, match four. He teamed with Matural Vibes against a veteran army plus problem dragon team. That was, as soon as we saw that Mondari was in this match case, we were like, well, we know what's going to happen here. And that was exactly what happened here as he beat uh, uh, Problem Dragon with the running elbow smash in 13 minutes and 43 seconds. And you wouldn't think that this guy just had like surgery to remove plates from his feet, you know? <laughs> uh second best match of the weekend for me i almost went four stars on this and uh, it's weird to think that the bulk of this match or uh, at the very least uh, a very heated finishing stretch involved kz going mono mono against problem dragon that certainly sounds like something from 2012 not 2021 <laughs> but i i mean to your point what's the difference between this kz and the kz of july of this year like he was mm-hmm. the same guy it doesn't make any sense you see, I kind of like that because both these guys are classmates. They're Dragon Gate Next guys. So, like, we were talking about Hulk and Shingo and Kamei and SBK here. So, on a lot more minor sc- scale, and these two guys in 2012, you mentioned that in 2012, their fortunes greatly uh, diverged at that point. So, I, I like that a bit. Uh, it was something that was kind of interesting to me, and it's something that we always have our eye on. Like, the fact of how much, like, Naruki Doi was a passenger in this match, like, there were a couple people on these shows that I noted, okay, this person tagged in once, this person tagged in twice. Doi was taking it easy this weekend. I am so fascinated by Doi. I mean, I really have no idea what they're doing with him. I still think, you know, we're going to come on this show one week, and and for all we know, it could be after this weekend in Fukuoka, and we're going to have to start the show going, oh, my God, can you believe what Naruki Doi just did? I still think his next move is going to be a really big move, but he is very much checked out right now. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily have an issue with that because, like I talked about at the beginning of the show, this roster is at a point right now where there's enough depth and it feels like enough guys are over to where they're not leaning on Doi and they're not relying on him to once again uh, be this heavily featured act but it's weird for Doi to to be in the back seat right now. That's just something that since his turn in 2005, since he helped form Blood Generation, that really hasn't been his MO. And right now he's he's just in the back seat hanging out. And it's very interesting to see. And, and it's something like the only other time that we, he really took that step back was before his first turn of Masato Yoshino, after he dropped the Dreamgate and had that huge ran, they had kind of, pulled him back for a little bit which was more understandably so now it's just like all right what's up what's up with doi and i think that i was going to bring up one point that kind of works in confluence with this the red dissension has continued as hyo on microphone gave ada a zero percent ada said you could come say that to my face and it seems like that red as they're like kind of going full force ahead into like big match for Diane Inferno next month we have both of their tight we have the new triangle gate challenger set up for gate of destiny 
it seems like that red like when we talk about doi making a big move it seems like that the red big move may be sooner rather than later or they're just teasing everything's gonna be okay if you're someone that's invested in the stories of this promotion, if you if you care about the week to week and what's going to happen, do not forget this Yo promo where he again, you know, big brain over here gave Ata a rating of zero. That has Franz Ferdinand vibes written all over it. That that is the the powder keg that is going to ultimately explode Red. It's going to be the first shot in in what will be many 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 shots as we head into the new year and beyond. Don't forget that promo. That was done very intentionally. And uh, it's something that when you like talk about R.E.D., it's worth talking about. B.B. Uh, Hulk and Yamato, they were, of course, at each other's throats, both in the semi-main event on Saturday. I think it was also the semi-main event on Sunday. Yeah, no, they, they were semi-main eventing both nights here. And the big story case about this was I thought both matches, you know, were, were pretty much what I expected good out of all these, th- out of these groups. Uh, but the big thing was on the 17th, we had the emergence for the first time, basically since he turned face and created Dia hearts, we had the emergence of dark side Hulk came out in Kobe Sambo hall. Uh, Mike, you can take the floor here. I will. I will briefly give my thoughts on the match afterwards. But what is the historical significance of Dark Side Hulk? So Dark Side Hulk was something that was introduced very early on in his career. Really, pretty much soon after he was turned on by Shingo Takagi for the first time at the end of New Hazard in two thousand and eight, when New when World One was formed, like this changed that turn changed Hulk's character because before that. Very much like not dissimilar to like Takeda. I'm gonna keep on calling him Takeda because we've talked about him so much, but very similar to Jackie Funky Kame, where like he's very cheerful, very happy, dancing. He had the dancers. He was very much like stylized as like this. His nickname was Pure or Snow. Like literally, that was his nickname and that was how he was booked there. But after he was turned on by Hulk uh, or by Shingo Takagi, we started to see first up against now. Here's a fun piece of. A trivia case. Who was the first person that we got to see Dark Side slash Killer slash bl- uh, Black Hulk against? It was some uh, offshoot Gamma character, wasn't it? Actually, it was Izushi Kanda beforehand. Oh boy! Oh boy! This is this is a match that I have either not seen or blocked out of my memory. Yeah. So, like, the idea is that uh, Dark Side Hulk is a, the Dark Side's persona. Like, he's someone that has a lot of his career and his training and like his basis and like Hayabusa and Hayabusa of course had multiple personas and the idea about Dark Side Hulk is it's the vicious dark side and it's something that when it came out in 2008 it was actually a legitimate shock because this was a guy that was out there dancing all the time he was always dressed in either like white or silver he was very much like just like as uh, as baby faces one can be in Dragon Gate and you see this guy basically showing up in the gear that we saw on Sunday like he wears the he wears the black pants he has the black uh, skin type body uh, tank top on top of it spray paints across his arms uh, and comes out chugging wine and it would reemerge a couple times against Gamma, like you brought up there. The Gamma character was called Gamma Dio, and that was one of the worst matches in a long time when that happened. And then when he turned in 2011, in the middle of Junction 3 and Blood Warriors, it, the turn was so significant because it, it was basically the first big night of this feud. Uh, what was 
previously all the former other units in the company either were disbanded or allied themselves into Junction 3, and it landed with both Shingo Takagi, who was in Kamikaze, and uh, I think World 1 was dissolved before this, but it, and then it had BB Hulk coming in as well, and the first night that they were supposed to be teaming together, the night they revealed Junction 3 as the team unit, it was going to be a big 5-on-5 five -five tag team match, and suddenly... During the entrance, we saw Black Hulk came out. It was Naoki Tanizaki, which, of course, when Shingo Takaki saw this, he flipped out because he knew that that meant that something was going on there. And then behind him was BB Hulk, not dressed up as Black Hulk, but kind of embodying Black Hulk and starting his heel run there and gave something that we've said several times, the most vicious beatdown that we've seen in Dragon Gate history. Yeah, so... You know, my thoughts on Dark Side Hulk, I don't I, I, I don't necessarily care about like the militant gothic black uh Dark Side Hulk that we saw here. Doesn't move my needle one way or another. I'm not really put off by it. I, I don't get too excited about it. To your point, the thing you just mentioned, his initial heel turn into Blood Warriors and then him as a lead part of Mad Blanky, I adore. I mean, Hulk's run in Blood Warriors is uh, that's a really fun six-month run from June 2011 through December of that year where I I thought he came across like a killer. I think the Mochizuki match that headlined World 2011 is one of the best Dreamgate matches of all time. I think it's incredibly, incredibly underrated, and Hulk is right there along Mochizuki with every single step of the way. So, yeah, you know, this is a, a wrinkle that I didn't see coming. Uh, it's, again, and I, I wish I had a more compelling take, but it's... It's just, I don't know, it's BB Hulk, and I just, I'm out of compelling takes with BB Hulk. And it's something that, like, basically that heel run was kind of, like, the impression and everyone kind of was led to believe was that that was basically Dark Side Hulk took over for those years. He turned face in 2014, and when he won the uh, Dead Era Live Cage match, and then he was, and then he was on the championship road and formed Dia Hearts, and since then... We really did not see any Dark Side Hulk since 2014. The only other occurrence actually was was when he was injured and he came back and to help Yamato to escape the dead or alive cage. So, and then he had a couple more appearances under the Dark Side Hulk gimmick when he was coming back from that injury because they wanted to make it kind of like an exhibitiony kind of thing, and that was more flat. I, I, this is me editorializing. It was more flattering for Hulk to dress up in that costume than what was the Tribe Vanguard costume until this weekend when he came out as Dark Side Hulk. And it's something that will be interesting to track to see if this is going to be like a full-on thing now or this was just like a one-night thing to throw off Yamato. Yeah, I, I honestly thought Hulk moved around really well in this match. I still, and to me rightfully so, have my reservations about him in, in a long Dreamgate setting. But like I said last week, the build to this has made sense to me. Like there's clear progression along the way and Dark Side Hulk coming out here. While again, it doesn't necessarily excite me. It also doesn't really turn me off. It's just another step in what has been a very logical, albeit not exactly thrilling story. The one thing with Hulk, the, the one critique I have as he embarks on this Dreamgate challenge and this is the heavy-hitting analysis that you get from with Open the Voice Gate and nobody else. That spot he's doing where he's suplexing a guy over the top rope 
and then kind of falling over into what I guess is supposed to be a brain buster on the floor. That spot sucks. He has to stop doing that. It's an insane spot for someone who's had as many severe injuries as he has to be doing that spot. Like, remember when he came back and like he did like an EVO on the apron and we were like, that's insane. He probably, like, we're no safety police here. He should probably not do that. This is, like, insane and it doesn't look good. No, it looks like shit. And I, I thought on the last Cork and Hall show, I thought Jay did a pretty good job trying to sell this move like it was a, a cool thing for him to be doing but I, that that has got to stop and i'm afraid they're going to end up building like a large chunk of the Dreamgate match around this move because i guess in theory at least from the explanation jay gave it's supposed to be a brain buster to the floor but it just looks like he he's falling over i mean it's a it's a really bad looking spot to a point that i feel like i needed to mention it here to uh, you know i just it's bad it's 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 the one real flaw in this hulk yamato thing is that spot has plagued every single match now and it's something that like when yamato was doing that rise to champion we saw like him kind of tap back bring back that 2010 feeling and be a little bit more vicious and you're just like okay there's other ways they could be accomplishing this not in a move that looks bad and with someone that eventually i'll stop saying like this is a guy who probably can't do this but probably shouldn't be doing that yeah no it's it's not a good looking spot i i did really like that era of hulk in 2017 and 2018 where he had put on some weight and he had gone through some injuries but he was really into taking really big and really dumb spots because i thought there was a, a good enough payoff there i still think that it was a tag match it was gate of or it was dangerous gate 2018 it was Yamato and Hulk against Mochizuki and Skywalker for the Twin Gate belts. Yes. And that that match, I, I'm trying to think, and again, I'm not a deathmatch guy, so I can't really speak to fear on that level. I don't remember a match where I've been as nervous watching it because this is when Shun was still really out of control and you never really knew what was coming next with him. And then you obviously have Mochizuki, who at the very least is going to kick you as hard as humanly possible. And then Yamada was taking big spots and Hulk was taking a bunch of big, dumb, stupid bumps in that match. And I just, I mean, I, you know, I don't bite my nails, but I felt like a cartoon character chewing back and forth on my, on my fingers, like a corn on the cob. Because I, I was really afraid someone was going to get really badly hurt in that match. And it was it was fun that BB Hulk played along to that, but again, the payoff was worth it. This spot that he's doing, this brain buster thing sucks. He needs to stop doing it. Yeah, it's just it's it's also as a complete aside. It's a wonder that Shun never really crashed or and burned that badly. You know, now now that we have enough distance and we think that he's he flies a little bit, but not like how he was trying back then. Really lucked out that he never seriously got hurt during that time period. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean. He's definitely yeah. he's screwed up some things where he's been diving inside the ring, but I don't think and, and you know, knock on wood, it, it keeps up this way. I don't really think he's had a hard splat on the floor when he's diving to the outside. And that is that is good. He needs to keep that streak up. Yeah, no, it, it's something that I just all it kind of just struck me as like he never really like got hurt there. So that was aside there. Uh, what other big things from Kobe Samba Hall did you want to touch on? We had Dark Side Hulk. We had KZ's return. 
the one other thing I want to be sure to mention, well, two actually, real quick, uh, Super Shisa and UT wrestled in the opener. Mike, you have the floor. <laughs> it was sick. It was awesome. Yeah, uh, it was the opener to uh, night two on the 17th, and it was something that it was really like when you like when I list off these names, you're like, okay, this is insane. So you had everyone in natural vibes other than Kamei because Kamei was in the main event. So it was a 10-man tag. The other side... Uh, Kota Minoru, Jason Lee. You might think to yourself, oh, it's going to be Masquerade versus Natural Vibes. That's tight. I'm here for it. No, because they were teaming with Super Sisa, Konamao Ichikawa, and Yosuke San Maria. And Shimizu won because Konamao Ichikawa did not want to get a King Press, and he later got the King Press. But like the first like five minutes of this match was all just like UT and Super Sisa grappling. And I was like, all right, this is sick. Uh, why is Ichikawa here? I look. I loved this match. This was this was really fun. It's rare you get a ten man tag in Dragon Gate, and I like that this one just had no stakes to it whatsoever. This was, you know, we talked about building units a few weeks ago, and shame on us for not putting Lee, Minora, Maria, Ichikawa, and Super Shisa together because I loved the way they worked together. <laughs> uh, and and like Mike said, you had Ut and Shisa just kind of kicking ass in the the opening portions of this match. So I thought that was super fun. And then uh, before we move on, we do have to talk about the Ahashi brothers and their two matches that they had this weekend. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off 
a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOW net. Arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out a passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second door is unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door Yeah, so the Hashi brothers, they had a tag match on the first night. It was against Don Fuji and Takashi Yoshida. And then they were in a trios match with Strong Machine J against Fuji, Kanda, and Kondo. I have kind of competing thoughts here, Case. I thought that the match on Saturday was, I don't want to say it was like a bad performance. It just was not a very lively performance. 
to me. And it was something that, you know, I kind of took note of. I was like, oh, is this a step back or is this like a settling down or is this just a crowd that really only wanted to see the Brave Gate stuff there? But then I really enjoyed this, uh, the six man tag on the 17th, especially like, well, Strong Machine J has been such like a outlier right now, but seeing him with like people that, you know, has a lot of similarities with second generation wrestlers. And I talked about this on the unit episode. Like I want to get them in a unit together. And I thought that Strong Machine J looked good. And I thought that the Ahashi brothers across the weekend, it was, it was a good weekend from them. It was not great weekend, but it was a solid weekend from them in my books. In both matches, I thought in particular that the chemistry between Don Fuji and Ricky Ihashi continues to grow. And I mentioned last week, I'd really like to see at some point down the road what a Ricky versus Doi singles match would look like. At this point, I think we know what a Ricky versus Don Fuji singles match would look like. And I think he's he's ready for that opportunity. I would really like to see that sooner rather than later. Because there was a moment in that six-man tag on the second night where Fuji was slapping him in the face, just open-handed palm strikes, and Ricky was returning with chops, which I, I thought was really interesting that they wouldn't just go you know back and forth, slap each other in the face, that Fuji was being outwardly disrespectful, and Ricky was coming back with just your standard pro wrestling chop, which I thought created an interesting dynamic there. Ishin showed a little bit of chain wrestling here, and he did it with Yasushi Kanda on the second night, which I just wasn't... I don't know. I wasn't anticipating Conda necessarily being the, the mat technician <laughs> in this match. Uh, I, we've, we've watched this guy, you know, people have watched this guy wrestle for 23 years now. And at no point have I ever been when I'm watching old footage been like, man, Yasushi Kanda could grapple. But I kind of thought that in this match, which is a nice change of pace again, almost 25 years into this man's career. And like you mentioned, I thought strong machine J had a, had a nice outing here. I, I thought the Hashi brothers looked better than him but I thought Strong Machine J looked good. Yeah, it, it's something that, like, in the Summer Adventure Technique League, we would not be offering a bid to Yazushi Kata. He would have to wrestle his way in. And the way you wrestle your way into the Summer Adventure Technique League is that you have a five-round exhibition grappling match with Super Shisa. So he would have to perform well there to get, like, an at-large bid. But that, that you, was wild. It, if you go to the Red Circle Open the Voice Gate page, there is a button to donate money to us. And if you pay us enough money, Mike and I can book a grappling tournament to our ideal specifications. Just remember that as you're listening to this episode. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who our outsiders in the Summer Adventure technically would be, but I feel like maybe we've got to see what Virus is up to. In Mexico, oh, I'm not. No, oh, I'm not fucking booking Virus. I've never, I've never watched a Virus match and been like, yeah, this was good. Uh, we're not. Let's settle down. I'll book Old Man Negro Casas, who was a brawler, before I book Virus. All right, it's that's maybe this was a mistake. Maybe, maybe we should see other people. <laughs> maybe we should. We shouldn't just have outsiders and just keep it to the roster. I was thinking like Lee Moriarty would would be yeah, no. my pick. You went Virus. Oh God, I just. Every, I, I like see some I, good Yave. Well, don't pick Virus then. He's good at it. He's better than Negro Navarro, I would say. Well, yeah, I mean, Mike, you're at, at this point, you're better than Negro Navarro. I got nothing pisses me off more than reading some four, four and a half star Negro Navarro match. Where it's like this dude is standing here, letting somebody wring his arm for 20 minutes. Like, I just can't handle that. I, I, I haven't seen the Jonathan Gresham Negro Navarro match yet. If it's good, let me know. 
I haven't heard crickets about it. And those are two guys that people really like to overrate. So I'm assuming it was disappointing even for their standards. I feel like when I was uh, way more online than I am now, I would see I would see a Virus match pop up. Like Alex Shelley used to put him over like crazy. And then I would watch a, a Virus match I was like, God, this sucks. This like, this is just not any good. And I like Alex Shelley. I want to like what he likes, and this is not it. Hey, I think that the mini maestro is great. I just, you know, maybe, maybe virus is not for you. Maybe virus is not no, for I you. No, I know he's not. That's not a maybe. It's a definite. <laughs> I am not a fan. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, the other uh, thing I wanted to touch on real quick is just just real quick on the Kobe shows where we got two futures matches. Uh, the, the one on Sunday was Takumi Hayakawa versus Takuma Fujiwara. I mean, that was very much like we've seen a lot of those two at this point, but on Saturday we got Shoya Sato and Ryu Fuda, who I think at least for me, I feel like this was the first time seeing both of them. Were you able to check these out? And do you have any thoughts about those two guys in their first appearance? Yeah, these are guys that we've known about, and I know they've worked at least one prior show because I had seen pictures of them in their gear, but I had not seen them actually work. And I and I know that there are, are people out there that are really into Sato that think he could be he could really be something special. I was actually asked by somebody specifically if I had watched that Sato match yet, which at that point I had not. Now I have. Look, it's they already have more guys. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. We just got through the Hashis. <laughs> we have Fujiwara and uh, and Hayakawa that are still in the pipeline, and now there's two more, and it's just this never-ending cycle. There's not a lot you could tell from this match in terms of necessarily what stood out. Uh, I I like both their body types. I like their looks and. Get it on the ground floor. This is literally the first time they have made tape in their career. Give it a watch, and five years from now, you can brag about watching them wrestle dark matches. Yeah, the only thing I'd really say about Sato and Fuda that I could get out of that was these are guys who have who are bigger, like not just like size wise, but they're taller than the rest of them, which is something that I mean. We spent thirty minutes talking about SB Kento and Jackie Funky Kame, who are two guys under five foot six. So having some taller guys in the pipeline was kind of nice to see. That was like my only like big takeaway. Like that, uh, it, it very much kind of felt like Baby's first Dragon Gate match to me, even though this was an exhibition. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very good way of putting it. And then running down the rest of the results for uh, Kobe Sambo Hall. On the 16th, opened with Masquerade, Skywalker, Minonora, and Daya versus Hio, Diamante, and Inferno of R.E.D. It was Hio with his schoolboy in 12 minutes there over Daya. At match two was Dragon Kid Izushi Kondo versus Eita and SB Kento. Uh, SBK won in nine minutes with the SB Shooter on Kanda. Match three was Fuji and Yoshida versus the Ahashi brothers, and it was Yoshida penning Ishin with a Pineapple Bomber. The KZ return match, uh, we, we've talked about it. it. was KZ getting the fall over Problem Dragon with a running elbow smash. It was uh, High End versus RED semi-main event. It was uh, Yamato and Bensuke versus BB Hulk, Kai, and Kaido Ishida. And Benke got the win clean over Ishida with the spear. The main event, of course, was the number one contender, Battle Royal. It was Kakatora, UT, Yosuke San Maria, Funky Jackie Kamei, as he was known then, Jason Lee punched Tomonaga and Sachi Oko Boy, and it was Kamei 
pinning UT, his Young Vibes partner with the Torbalino Crucifix. That that show will be up until the 23rd. Running through the 17th, there was the 10-man tag we were talking about. Shisa, Ichikawa, Maria, and Minoli versus Natural Vibes. And it was Shimizu being credited with a submission on Ichikawa when Ichikawa did not want to eat the King Press. Match two was Nurugi Doi, Ryo Saito, Punch Tomonaka, and Hoho Loon versus Sachi, Kakatori, uh, Takashi Yoshida, and Problem Dragon, Kakatora Pen, PT, with the Ikatosin in 10 minutes. Then it was the Fuji Kanda Kondo match versus the Hashi Brothers and Strong Machine, Strong Machine J, we talked about before. Uh, match four was Masquerade, Skywalker, Daya, and Estrella versus. Eta Diamante and Daya Inferno. It was Daya winning by a, a pinfall, and it was a rolling prawn hold out of the Inferno attempt for that. And the semi-main event of that show was uh, was a uh, sorry high end. I almost called them natural vibes. High end uh, Yamato Dragon Kid and Binsuke versus BB Hulk Kai Kaido Shida and Hio. Dragon Kid won with the Bible on Hio, which led to a Triangle Gate challenge from Dragon Kid, Keisuke Akuda, and Benkei. Four Gate Destiny against the champions, Hio, uh, Kaido Shida, and Eita. And of course, the main event of that show was the Open the Brave Gate title match. And SB Kento makes his first successful defense with the SB Shooter over Funky Jackie Kame in the post match. Funky Jackie Kame noted that his theme, as I mentioned earlier, was his name was in the wrong order entering the theme. And because he's a nice guy and he's way too young to make this kind of thing from the change it, he adapted his name. He now will be. Jackie Funky Kame going forward, and everyone was really amused by the fact that his initials are now JFK. Yeah, so to make this real simple, I think the Battle Royal on the first night and the main event on the second night are essential viewing because that Battle Royal, we didn't spend a ton of time on it. A legitimately good match that was disguised as a Battle Royal, but but way above the average affair that you get in that that type of match. Typically, if you have time, I recommend the KZ return match on the first night and the Yahashi Brothers six-man tag on the second. Yeah, those were all the highlights I'd really have of the weekend there. I mean, the only notebook match was the Brave Gate match, but the matches that Case mentioned really are the ones worth getting into while you have time. And before the shows, the double shot in Hakata Starlanes. Uh, trying to see if they actually have it on the Facebook page or on to go to Twitter. Okay, I do have it on... on uh, facebook uh they will be there the 24th they are doing their day night double header there uh case i know you've seen the cards as well were there any big takeaways you had before i run down the cards uh not before but i have thoughts after okay so we have the triangle Kid cha- challenge team of dragon kid benkei and keisuke akuda opening up the uh, afternoon show against natural vibes yokosuka shimizu and jfk we have a six-man tag team match uh we have based this is a wild six-man tag team match given where things are in the promotion right now. Problem Dragon, Pancho Managa, Yosuke Samaria versus Maraha Isapa and Hoho Loon. Then we have Don Fuji and Naruki Doi versus the Yahashi Brothers. KZ and UT versus Kaido Ishida and Kai. Uh, Yamato and Kagatora versus BB Hulk and Hio. In the main event, it is Masquerade versus R.E.D. Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya versus Eita, SB Kento, and Daya Inferno. Moving on to the evening show, we have a match zero. Ho-Ho Loon versus Problem Dragon. Opens up proper with natural vibes. KZ, Ginky Horiguchi, and UT versus Ryo Saito and uh, Kota Minora and Jason Lee, who are just like 
they are the fill-in whenever you need a, a tag team to join a match with unaffiliated people. You're tossing in Kota Minoru and Jason Lee. Match two, the, the Naruki Doi and Binkei versus Don Fuji and JFK. That's wild. Uh, we have the Open the Twin Gate champion team of Susumi Yokosuka and King Shimizu versus the Hashi brothers on night two or on show two as well. Punch Tomonaga and Yosuke Samaria versus Kaito Ishida and SP Kento in a what are we doing here match. Uh, we have some of my main event, Shun Skywalker and Dragon Daya versus Eita and Daya Inferno. And the main event of the second show and across Fukuoka on the 24th is BB Hulk and Kai and Diamante and Hio of R.E.D. versus High End, Yamato, Dragon Kid, Kakator, and Keisuke Akuda. These are some, I have to say, this not, this show two card case kind of blew my mind when I started reading what they have stacked up towards the end of it. Yeah, the, the daytime show, the first shot of this day-night doubleheader, uh, Fuji and Doi versus the Ahashi is great. KZ and UT versus Kai and Ishida, that sounds like fun. Rest of the card, who cares? I'm sure that the main event, I, it's R.E.D. versus Masquerade. That'll be great. I shouldn't blow past that. The night show... I am into everything on this card. Main event, eh, but that's just because it's high-end and I'm I'm pretty cold on them right now. Opening match, KZ Horiguchi and UT versus Saito Minoru and Lee. That sounds like a ton of fun. Doi and Benkei versus Fuji and Funky and Jackie Funky Kamei. That's going to kill me, by the way. Jackie Funky Kamei is going to be so hard to get used to. That match just is going to be awesome. Just go JFK. I am offered... Okay, oh, please, are you going to give him a tour of the, the Dallas Metroplex area? I have offered. He'd get the Mike Spears Metroplex reality tour if he needs it, just in case. Just make sure that, that someone of JFK has a good experience in Dallas. Court Bauer, just remember, I live in Chicago. If you bring the Durangate crew to Chicago, I will show them a good time. Uh, Mike Spears can do the same. Uh, he will go back to Dallas if uh, you book them there, or obviously Spears oh, territory. Only only Kamei. Oh Kamei. Kamei. <laughs> yeah. This is a one-person tour. <laughs> See, I'm like, what, Hayo wants to go to an improv show? All right, but let's get, let's get on the train. Let's go. I, a whole roster, whatever you guys need. I got you. I'm, I'm, your, I'm your, your whipping boy. I'm your mark that weekend. Just let me know, Corp Bauer. Um, the Ahashis uh, versus Natural Vibes, that's a fresh match. We haven't seen that. I'm sure that'll be great. Do not sleep, Mike. And you were, yeah, that condescending tone in your voice, I heard it, and I'm, I'm disappointed in you. Punch Tamanaga and Yosuke Santa Maria versus Kaito Ishida and SB Kento. I swear to God, I'm excited to watch that match. I don't know what that match is going to be, but I'm excited to watch that match. Well, uh, to me, that screams either Punch Tamanaga or Yosuke Santa Maria is getting a fall on SB Kento to set up that Brave Gate match at Gate of Destiny. And, and boy, let's hope it's Maria and not Punch. Yeah, yeah. Because Maria versus SB Kento... Yeah, that, for well, sure. That will be a very good match. I mean, we've seen Maria rise to the occasion before. That that I'm into. Mm-hmm. But and Punch Tomonaga. Match five. Oh, yeah. Uh, punch and SB Kenta. I mean, come on now. We Punch had a fucking Brave Gate match title, uh, a Brave Gate match already this year. We're not doing that again. He wrestled a Kuda, Mike. Think about how weird that a That's Kuda right. was in hindsight. He wrestled Kaisi yeah. Kuda in like a featured open, like a month, months long build, multiple months to get to Okuda versus Punch in a Brave Gate match. <sighs> it was such a weird run. Such a weird title run. I mean, Hio getting a title match in Osaka. Th- th- that's going to be a Brave Gate match case. That- that's going to be a Brave Gate run case in five years. We're going to come back and revisit this run just because it's just like how it planned out because it was weird. It was bizarre. I mean, that Hio match I thought was really good too, but it was not. 
it, it was just weird that I thought they nailed everything up to Akuda winning the belt. And then he won the belt, and they were like, uh, punch, I guess. I mean, let's see what he can do. And it's like, well, I, you guys were on to <laughs> something there with UT. I don't know why we need to go to punch after that. Uh, that yeah, that, was a, that was a bizarre run. But what's not bizarre is Skywalker and Daya versus Ata and Daya Inferno. That match is going to whip ass. And then the main event, I'm sure, will be fine. Again, I'm just, I'm cold on high end. I, I don't, oh, Hulk, Kai, Diamante, and Hio is not exactly the strongest R.E.D. for some. But even that, I'm sure, will be fine. That is, on paper, that is as good of a Fukuoka card as we've had in a very long time. Yeah, maybe the King of Gate one, but that's not fair. Or, like, when they did, like, a Twin Gate tournament. But, like, just for, like, a, a standard card, it is not a card that I would think I'd be booking, but... I gotta tell you, match two, Doi and Binke versus Fuji and Kamei. Remember, Fuji and Kamei looked like that they could have like really started something, like when Don Fuji wanted to join Natural Vibes and all of that. Like, like we're getting a glimpse into that reality, and it's nice to see the Hashi brothers, you know, move on from the rookie beaters and now like get to face more of the full roster. Like, I am fascinated by King Shimizu Nation. I think that will be really, really interesting. And yeah, I mean, the way I look at this day night. This day night case is all right. Mom and dad are at home for show one, you know, so we're all going to be all on our good behavior. But show two, it's nighttime. They're they're going to go watch that new James Bond movie. They're getting dinner in a movie. Mom and dad are at home. We're throwing a party here, and we are inviting a a pre a, a right before intermission a punch Tomonaga match to the household. Have you seen that new James Bond movie? You know, I haven't. Uh, I I'm not. As, for someone who in my life was dominated by movies for so long, I don't watch a whole lot of movies now. You know what the last movie I saw was? What's that? Mortal Kombat. I didn't know that was a movie. It it, it was like ninety minutes and it was fun. The last movie I, I I the last movie I saw in theaters, however, was Death of Stalin. So like that gives you a sense of my movie watching. I watch a lot of documentaries and cooking shows and then trash. Yeah, I, I, I've look. I've never seen a James Bond movie. I don't plan on seeing them. They sound terrible, quite frankly. If it's not a Judd Apatow comedy or a like a gut wrenching documentary, I typically have no interest. Uh, my my ideal movie to put it in perspective, when The Wrong Missy came out, starring David Spade and Lauren Lapkus, I think I've watched that movie five times. That is as much fun as I can possibly have watching a movie. That is right around 90 minutes because the thing is movies are too long like it's just a fucking pain to sit through because i gotta like focus for it took me a week and a half to sit down and watch the new sopranos movie which i thought was good but i was just like oh god like i'm gonna have to focus on something and i don't i don't want to do that uh but you throw me a dumb comedy ideally kevin james is in the mix if not him then again spade is a great substitute then i'm thoroughly entertained you know, I have not realized that our two senses of comedy diverge so much that you're wanting to watch a Kevin <laughs> James movie in 2021. I I watched. Uh, were you aware that Kevin James had a like a laugh track sitcom on Netflix recently? No, but it doesn't surprise me. It like, was he's the person uh, I expected out of. It was called The Crew, and it was about Kevin James running like a NASCAR team. I'm not sure how we landed on this as the idea for Kevin James, but I watched all 10 episodes. Was it funny? Not necessarily. Did I watch it? Yeah, absolutely. I did. Because when Kevin James is in something, K-Slow sits down and watch it. How many times have you watched the entirety of King of Queens? 
I, I feel like we need oh, to do an intervention God, multiple right times. King, King of Queens is one of the funniest shows of all time. I get so annoyed that people throw shade at the King of Queens. It's up until the very end when Leah Remini starts having babies in real life and that character gets kind of weird. That is as good of a TV comedy as there's ever been. I mean, think about it. it's It's Kevin James at his peak because it's kind of like it's still young guy Kevin James. We don't get a lot of MMA-inspired Kevin James until the later seasons of King of Queens, which is a huge factor in how much I enjoy him is whether or not he is uh, within 48 hours of watching a UFC pay-per-view, which it seemed like for a while that was all he was doing. Kevin James, Jerry Stiller, Patton Oswalt, uh, Victor Williams, Gary Valentine, as Danny is funny in that show. Lou Ferrigno is tremendous in that show. That whole cast is killer. One of the best sitcoms of all time, and I get so annoyed that I have to, have to defend the King of Queens towards other people. You know, I think like the difference between you and me with like comedies, like my favorite show right now is what we do in the shadows. Like I'm a big Matt Perry guy. Good show. Not as good as King Queens. Good show. Not as good as King Queens. Have you seen Toast of London? I have not. Oh, you you see, pull up the Netflix and it's I like a farce comedy. And that is like four seasons, four British seasons, so it's like twenty episodes. You can watch it in a weekend. And it is by I think it's some of the most like farcical and just hilarious things I've seen in a long time. Like you pull up the crew i pull up toast of london we are not the same yeah i just i went through a phase of watching really pretentious comedies and to a degree i still think there's value in those but at some point i was just like you know you know what i like about a comedy is a show that's funny and king of queens checks those boxes i don't i because i was just talking to somebody about did you ever watch uh mark Marin's show Marin? i sat through a couple of seasons I went so, through a couple of seasons of it. I, I, I'm I'm a huge fan because I think that you know it's I think it's four seasons. In the first three, it's largely just largely just Mark Marin material put up on its feet and acted out. That fourth season, they go through such a, a gut wrenching story where where Marin relapses and he's living in a in a storage locker. And Louis kind of tries to get Marin's career back on track, but then Marin screws him over. And it's a very somber season, and it's it's just very intriguing. And it's obviously labeled as a comedy because it's Mark Marin. And there was a point in time where that was sort of my favorite thing of these comedies that made you think and that had these great, you know, uh, great amounts of depth to them. That's great. I don't really want to watch that now, though. I kind of just want to watch season three of King of Queens. That to me is what I'm what I'm constantly in the mood for at this point. You see, I checked out of Marin after the episode that uh, podcast host Seth Rometelli was on as his IT guy. That that was it. I was good after that. I was like, oh, yeah, Seth Rometelli from, oh, yeah, dude's on this show. I don't need to watch this anymore. Well, I don't know how we got off on that, Mike. Would you like to talk about Sora Fujikawa? Yeah, so this came out this morning. Sora Fujikawa has announced that he will be leaving Dragon Gate at the end of October, and it seems like, and the impression is, that he is leaving the wrestling industry. This does not seem like an OG Shiba where he's just leaving the company and will come back when he's, he'll come back into wrestling when he's better. It, at least in my impression, I haven't had a chance really to talk to a whole lot of people. You might have had more of an opportunity to do so. But, you know, this is like a shame and it's a bummer. 
I guess like my impression and I I'm not trying to like sound a little bit cold about this. He was someone that is older than the remainder of the class of 2020. Like like Kakuta, SB Kento and Kame were all 20 turning 21 or 22. He was 25, so he's now 26 and having that kind of injury and then going back into taking all that time back, especially like right now and then going back into wrestling when you're 26, you see like the Hashi brothers. Now everyone else in your class is, is main eventing shows. Like I could see how that could be very discouraging when you are moved to back to essentially if he was back in future. They were going to debut him and that was it. So pardon yeah, me. Prop, Real- pr- props to you there. You, you played body language doctor and you successfully diagnosed some discomfort there. When when you had mentioned that he looked kind of checked out of his future matches, I thought that was a part of a greater deal where, you know, I was just talking to somebody this past weekend. I was like, man, when Fujikawa comes back and he's on the main roster again, I, I really think he's going to hit the ground running. I think he's going to be a huge part of a unit going forward because, you know, the, the weird thing is he wrestled seven matches. He had that empty arena tag that I was talking about earlier in the show. It was Kabune and Kame versus Kakuta and Fujikawa. That was his debut. He wrestled Don Fuji in Osaka. That match was awesome. He has a single. He had a singles match against Diamante, which is one of the few Diamante singles matches in this time in this promotion. That next month in Osaka, and then he had that eight man tag: Fuji, Doi, Kondo, and Susumu against the class of 2020. That's the last time we saw him on TV. And that's the match where afterwards they had to send out a release to the audience reminding them not to cheer for Sora Fujikawa because they were in the midst of COVID-19. And then the day after that match, Masaki Mochizuki wrestled him in a singles match. And Mochizuki, you know, as we've talked about on the show, Mochizuki broke his face. There's a picture of it on, I think it's Mochizuki's Instagram, of that kick the moment he, again, exploded Fujikawa's face. And from a personal standpoint for Fujikawa, it just has to be devastating because, you know, we spent 45 minutes opening up this show talking about how great SB Kento and Jackie Funky Kame are. And I have no doubt that when Hip Hop Kakuda returns, he will pick up right where he left off. And Fujikawa, just because of, I think also just because of the nature of the 2020 schedule and how things were so tightly packed that back half of the year, we saw the other three rookies in that class of 2020, they all accelerated so quickly that maybe during a normal year, they wouldn't have had all of those opportunities to grow and to learn and to turn and develop characters. Maybe during a normal year, Fujikawa missed all this time. The gap wouldn't have been as great between him and those other three guys, but this is the reality that we're living in. I, I think this is a huge loss just because he will he will always go down now as a what could have been because I really thought in the limited times that we saw him that he projected a future star quality to him, and you know we'll, we'll never even see him with a character. We'll never see him really out of young boy tights, which is just such a bummer. Yeah, and this is like such a contrast to Kats- to Katsumi Takashima, who was a part of another big class, class of 2016, the one that had Benkei, Shun Skywalker, Hio, and Yuki Yoshioka in it. And he was a part of that big match. And pretty much right after that, that big match, like after that match, he retired. He was injured and he was retired. Like This is someone that we got a sense of who he was, and we saw like that he had a legitimate 
connection that worked in Dragon Gate that now we don't see it play out. And I just keep on going back to like how much of a bummer it would be, like given like all this, and you see, uh, you see Kento, you see Kamei, and you saw Kakuda. Like Kakuda's the quickest, youngest man ever to get a drinky. Like that's something that you can never take away from Kakuda, even if it, like things don't pan out for him and you're on the sidelines and also the fact that i don't think he was really staying in the dojo during most of this and how isolating COVID has been for just humanity in general but also imagine in such like an interwoven and tightly knit group as the dragon gate roster being pretty much like you're in a you're part of it you're part of it you're part of it and then you have to sit out for so long and i i it's totally understandable how someone might check out like that you know yeah, it's it's a real bummer. Obviously, like I like I said earlier on the show, we knew not everybody was going to pan out to such a to such a star making degree in the class of 2020. It's disappointing that we're already seeing one of those guys fade to black and presumably end his career because I I would have liked to have seen what Fujikawa 2.0 would have looked like. I would have liked to have seen him get back on the main roster and that just did not happen. So because of the schedule, you know, these Fukuoka shows, this is the last time Drangate will make tape this month. So I, I don't get the, I, it would be weird for him to wrestle a future match on those shows. Uh, mm-hmm. But but if he does, it's the last time we'll see him. But I, I have a feeling that's the last time we'll see Sora Fujikawa wrestle. We've already seen it. Yeah, unless they would put up a previously taped future match that he was in. But I don't expect that really at this point, especially of how they treat the future stuff there. They kind of drop one in there as a treat that's a match they probably can be like you know what he's gone we don't need to really put this up even if it's like someone like sato or fuda who they want to try to get exposure to so i think i think we've seen his last match yeah and and you know at the very least like i i said you know he's got that empty arena tag his debut match that was during that soul-sucking period of that empty arena king of gate that match was so much fun the Kabune Kame versus Kakuta Fujikawa match. And then that eight-man tag, Fuji, Doi, Kondo, Susumu against Kabune, Kakuta, Fujikawa, and Kame. That was that was one of those weeks where I was so excited to sit down with Mike and talk about that match. That's a match that I'll always remember. A historic match to some degree. And now, you know, forgetting what SB Kento and Kakuta and Kame will accomplish, it has a bit of added lore, dare I say, with Fujikawa being involved with it, and then so quickly after that, you know, not being able to wrestle. Yeah, I wanted to check to see when's the last time that a match of his made tape. It was last month's Kobe show on the 23rd. He had a future match with Takumi Hayakawa. So that's a trivia note, I guess, for people who want to know that. Uh, Case, you wanted to touch on the relaunch of Osaka Pro before we got out of here. Yeah, so this is a story that that broke earlier this week that All Japan Pro Wrestling Zeus is buying full control of Osaka Pro. His All Japan contract ends at the end of 2021, and he will take over running Osaka Pro on a full-time basis in the start of the new year. They are expected to launch again in the spring of 2022. Before I go any farther, I do want to mention that Isaac, that's Isaac with Z's from Puro in the Rough, has kind of killed this coverage. He's done a really good job. This is very much in his ballpark. Over on his website, PuroInTheRough.com, he has a huge write-up of kind of the history of Osaka Pro, uh, why Zeus purchasing it is a big deal, and a look at 
who we can kind of expect to see at least on launch date guys that should be affiliated with this promotion. And then he and Striga, a friend of the show, one of the nicest men I've ever come in contact with, Striga of the Eastern Lariat podcast. They sat down today and did some audio talking about that same thing. And I listened to that episode. That was a very informative episode. I, uh, you know, when it comes to the Japanese indie scene, those are the two guys I trust. And I thought they had a, a lot of good information there. I think they were a little more bullish on the idea of Osaka Pro starting up again than I am. It was interesting. They mentioned, you know, Zeus adds a certain level of credibility when when this story broke. You know, guys like Akiyama and Marafuji were tweeting out their support. And, and you certainly wouldn't get that from just any other, you know, Osaka-based businessman or even whoever's left of, of, you know, either the original Osaka Pro or some, you know, Michinoku guy that wanted to buy the promotion. Zeus, as much as I make fun of him because I, I find him to be a useless wrestler just because of the All Japan heavyweight scene and, and how much I, I dislike it for the most part, he does add a certain level of credibility as the owner of this promotion. My expectations for this are that these will largely be alumni shows that you'll see, you know, Hubbo, Black Buffalo, uh, you know, who, whoever else is in there. Uh, I add uh, Magnitude, Kishiwada, Subasa, those kind of guys I think are going to dominate these shows. I, uh, what would be great, my, you know, best case scenario for this, Mike, is that we see some new trainees come through the dojo system there. That would be phenomenal because um, Zeus owns a gym in Osaka, which I did not realize. Uh, not a dojo, but, you know, a normal gym. And I would really like to see some young guys come through the pipeline there. But uh, w- what are your thoughts on on the 2022 relaunch of Osaka Pro? I kind of look this as like a worst case scenario. It ends up being a regional indie like Kyushu Pro, Ryukyu Dragon, you know, like how they yes, kind of have. I, I, I think that is an incredibly fair comp. And I quite, unless I hear otherwise, I think that is what Zeus is going for as well. I think he's looking to be a kingpin in that part of the country in the same way that Garuk and Mask is. Yeah. So I think that that in that role, it's just really hard for like what Osaka Pro was at its peak for what it could be now. And I think that as long as there's like a level of just realistic expectations with it, I think that it, it definitely cars and ish. There's all, all those Osaka Pro guys that just whenever a company comes into uh, that part of the the region, the Kansai region, which is the same region that Dragon Gate's a part of, but like whenever they go to Osaka, like like they would, you would see like Billy Kinkit, Subasa, Magdu Kishawada pop up on these shows. It's going to be interesting because, like, if they keep like this, because I have this article pulled up right now too, and looking at the names that Isaac has picked up there, almost all of them like line up perfectly well with what you'd expect, you know, out of your Osaka Pro veterans to coming back there. It's going to be interesting to see like how, like you mentioned, like if they create a dojo system there. I mean, a lot of the people who did it, the training for the original Osaka Pro aren't a part of this, and also the fact that like Osaka has a lot of like I would, I don't want to call them micro indies because they they do draw decently well, but like this isn't like one of the many Osaka. This is like one of many various Osaka area promotions that have popped up. There's uh, there's Kuga who has Dotenbori Poro. There's Osaka Style Wrestling Gamma 
was promoting shows under like an Osaka banner for a while as well. So, I mean, this is like the one market that could definitely have a just like a region specific indie like Kyushu Pro, like Riku Dragon. It's just something that like this is a market that like there's always been like a kind of Osaka promotion going on there. It's just if it's going to be just Osaka Pro, guys, it's going to draw pretty well for Osaka Pro, even considering how Osaka Pro ended or had took its massive step backs at, it's going to be like, all right, what are you going to add to it? Are you going to have new stars? Like there's people like the name that has been thrown around a lot is Shigehiro Irie, who was a huge Osaka pro fan was, I believe Osaka base. And he's, he's a part of all Japan. He's a part of strong hearts, but he's a freelancer. Like this could end up being a, a home promotion that makes sense for him as it seems more and more that strong hearts are going to be just a gleet thing, you know? So, that that would be a name to look at, and it's just other like Osaka regional guys. Like if Gamma pops up here, a good deal, I would not be surprised at all because he he lives in Osaka. Yeah, I sent Mike a message last night, uh, joking before I even realized that Irie was from Osaka. I said, "Man, pencil this in as Irie's new home promotion. He will easily be the ace of Osaka Pro." Mike was like, "Well, you know, he's from Osaka." I was like, "Oh my god, even even better! Like this guy is whatever the first tournament they run is." Erie is clearly going to win that tournament. <laughs> I, I do think, and it's hard to speculate. I, I, I don't have any information. Maybe because you're a little bit more connected to this. Maybe you have thoughts on this more than just, oh, that's an interesting thought. I do think one of the most interesting outcomes of a new Osaka Pro is whether they partner with Dragon Gate to some degree or whether they partner with Stronghearts to some degree, because obviously you have Zeus, which means you have an all-Japan connection, and right now Stronghearts are are doing big things in all-Japan. Now, you know, that's something, again, I would have been pretty excited about that two years ago. Now, I gotta be honest, I don't care. But you obviously have that connection there, but then you have Gamma and all of the other Osaka connections in Dragon Gate, it seems like just given the Cosmos situation that we we got into recently, where it's really going to be one or the other, you can't play to both sides there. And I'm really curious to see if Dragon Gate can stake their claim in an Osaka indie in the same way that they've done with Ryuku Pro and with uh, 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 Kyushu Pro. If this can be a third indie that once a month they can send two or three guys to 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 spread the word of the promotion again, or if Shima's going to be on the first show and then T-Hawk and Lindemann will follow and uh, we know how that goes. Yeah, and if I were to guess, just looking at the roster and the people around there, I would think, and this is, I have not done any, I've not done any talking to people. I haven't, uh, uh, other than the stuff like me seeing the tweet and us talking case, I haven't done a whole lot of work uh, looking into this. Just on its surface, especially seeing that like Kaliga Pro pretty much has flamed out, I think that the fact that like Bodyguard is there, Bodyguard has a good established relationship with Dragon Gate, and if Zeus is there, then this then Bodyguard will be there as well. And like Matu Kishawada, you know, like it makes it makes a lot of sense for Dragon Gate to kind of line up there, and especially with like being the the big promotion in Western Japan and have already supported Western Japanese micro indies, it would make sense there. But I mean, as you're saying, like all it takes is how much Zeus is going to open up the checkbook and then that's it. You know, <laughs> I mean like that, that's the thing. Like, like you were dead on about that. Uh, I, I look at this and as like a positive thing. I mean, we've seen how Gleet has been able to, 
I don't want to say thrive because you can't really judge that yet, but has found a niche for itself that just like looking at Osaka, especially like the idea of what an Osaka pro means, I think is a big deal. And I think that's just an overall just positive. And hopefully, you, you know, even if, even if Dragon Gate doesn't become affiliated with them and they're not having a relationship with them, it, it's a positive sign. To, like whenever there's a, it, whenever there's wrestling in Japan, there should be an Osaka pro basically. And the fact that we've been so long without a true Osaka pro, the fact that it's coming back is a unqualified positive in my mind. I've talked a lot on this show about how I'm really disappointed there's not a lower-level junior-based promotion in Japan right now. I think, overall, this is the weakest the Japanese junior scene has been since probably the start of 1990. I, I mean, I, I think the junior divisions in Japan are really dire right now. But if we can have a place where, again, your hubbos and Ultimate Spider Juniors and whoever else can work consistently and hopefully it's either on YouTube or in some easily consumable way for Western fans. I think that's a very good thing and uh, more power to Zeus. I mean, this is, this is a cool thing. He grew up in this, in this part of the country. He grew up in Osaka pro. He made money in all Japan and now he's going back and buying his home promotion. That's a nice story. So good for Zeus. I wish him well. And if there's any sort of dragon system affiliation, with Osaka Pro going forward, it's something I'd like to talk about on this show. Absolutely. I mean, as I said up top, this is all part of the same family tree, just a branch that branched off a lot a lot earlier than Dragon Gate. So it's it's something that I will keep an eye on. And at the very least, I want to see the first Osaka Pro show in 2022. Like, I'm fascinated by what this could be, and I hopefully it's easily available. Absolutely. And unless you have anything else, we almost went two hours. I think I think we can call it a show here. Uh, that is that is all I have to say. Go watch that open the Brave Gate match between SB Kento and now Jackie Funky Kamei. That match put me in a very good mood. That made met that match made my weekend. Go watch it and uh God bless. Yep, that's gonna do it for us this week. We'll be back next week talking about the end of October and Dragon Gate, as Case mentioned, the Fukuoka shows next Sunday are the last Dragon Gate shows for the month. And then I think they have like one televised show before Gate of Destiny, but that's clearly on the horizon here. But you can follow the podcast at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. And you can follow me at Fujiheya all on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, go to uh, HelloFresh.com slash vow14 and use promo code 14 for up to 14 free meals including free shipping but that's going to do it for this week on open the voice gate take care